don't know. What year did Fellowship of the Ring come out? 2001? That, that seems... No, it wasn't that. It was 2001. Yeah, because uh, Return of the King won the Oscar right, in 2000. Right. Oh, okay. yeah, don't challenge me on Oscar trivia. I'm sorry. Know your place. Come to my house. I don't remember what happened during this fight. Anyway, 2001. <laughs> Please finish your story, Doc. We are two hours in the Fellowship of the Ring, and the father, with no irony, turns and says to one of the boys, What's his name? Poto? And it was all I could do not to stand up and punch him in the face. <laughs> Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Nina? <laughs> what, Doc? So, uh, listeners, you should know for this episode <laughs> that we are doing the rare recordings where we're in the same room, and so... Which is why we're giggling. Yes, we always sound different because we're on the same mic and not being mixed together later, just to uh, talk about what Engineer mm-hmm. Mike does. He actually has quite a job to do most mm. weeks. And also, because it's like we're singing a duet off of the same mic, we always have the giggles. Uh, <laughs> and we haven't yet broken into that Lagavulin out there. No. So we're we're not even we're not even into our cups yet. Not yet. No. <laughs> we're eyeballing it though. <laughs> yes. Okay, so right. Go ahead. this serious, is not yeah, very serious podcast. Right. Now the, this is a gonna be a weird episode, not mm-hmm. just for that reason, but because normally we only talk about movies during Movember. Yeah. However, because this new Amazon Lord of the Rings series called The Rings of Power. Rings of Power. The Rings of Power is coming out in September, I September. think. September. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And that'll be before that. We're breaking our own rule here to talk about something which we're calling bad Tolkien adaptations or bad Tolkien movies, I guess. But bad yeah, bad adaptations of token books yes there we go but although they're not all bad we're gonna have some nice things to say about them we have an episode we did previously on one which would be episode number 32 called in mother russia they include tom bombadil i love when i come up with these i do i do readers you cannot know this but she readers readers readers. (laughs) maybe they're reading you don't know you're not the boss of, I, of, I our, of our yes. audience. If you read our podcast. <laughs> Readers of the subtitles of this podcast. This podcast is going to be very difficult to hear. Sorry, go ahead. Listeners and readers, if they may be among them. What you don't know is that Nina has a special talent for coming up with names, especially of apps and I, yeah, and tech companies that don't exist. And I when do. she writes them in her in her books and, and novels, I always think that's better than the real name. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate that compliment. And when my third book comes out, which hopefully will be this year, you will see that. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we don't. We'll want, see that the apps are good. We'll see that the book comes we out. We don't. We don't want to promise the book. <laughs> In April. True, that's true. Or whatever this airs. Well, maybe if you're not listening to this until 2023, it's probably come out already. That Yeah, it's true. And if, if it hasn't, you can come find me and uh, berate me yes. for being behind on my deadline. If you can find uh, Nina, she'll tell you the names of all the fake tech companies and apps she's come mm-hmm. up with. Anyway, so we talked about a Soviet adaptation of Lord of the Rings from 1989 or 92. I believe it aired on Russia's 5 TV. It was a two-part. Actually, I believe it came out in 91. And the reason I think so is I believe it came out just just before before the the fall of the Soviet Union. Yes. So it was 91. 91, We do a deeper dive into that Mm -hmm. uh, on that episode. So we don't want to go too far in it. But it's basically, it looks like a stage play that they filmed kind of. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that we 
both felt like it was good for what it was. Mm-hmm. Not what I expected out of Soviet TV, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. And given what we will say about some Hollywood production, made pretty good. I think we were both remarking about the accuracy, like going back through the book and saying, we're surprised this is in the movie or the stage production or the film stage production. Like we remarked about Tom Bombadil, like that keeps getting left out of Hollywood adaptations for whatever reason. But this is in here and various other things are kept in the Soviet version. So yeah, it's not lacking in terms of accuracy. It's lacking in terms of budget. Yes. And so sometimes they're clearly like wearing stage makeup mm-hmm. and they're also a little, there's some weird choices of like what a hobby party would look like. It looks a lot <laughs> like Siberian peasants dancing around. Yeah. But nevertheless, episode 32 for those who, who want to review that. So I suppose the, the one adaptation that really sparked us wanting to talk about this is the Ralph Bakshi adaptation from, oh shoot, what year was that? It was the late 70s. Yeah. It's very uneven. It's long also. It's like, it's long. It's like two hours and so-and-so minute. You can watch this on streaming. It's only The Fellowship of the Ring and The Two Towers. It doesn't include The Return of the King, which is a, it's a financial choice, right? Yeah. And it had to do with rights and then whether they had money to do such and such. And they, they were doing it in an expensive way. But because of that, the ending of it is, it ends in media res. It ends mm-hmm. like in the middle of, well, it ends at the end of The Two Towers. But there's like a bit of, I can't remember if it was dialogue or exposition, which in which Gandalf basically implies that this was the end. So Gandalf was sort of implying that the Battle of Helm's Deep, that was it. That won everything right there. Yeah. Because we don't have money to do the rest right. of it. Knowing, in fact, you've got an entire other novel to go through before the series is done. Yeah. Now, it's been a little while since I've actually seen the Bakshi version. You you have seen it. I have. Back. Again, it's been a while. Yeah. What do you remember about it? What was noteworthy to you about Oh, about the rotoscoping. That? Yeah. Yeah. So rotoscoping, for those who are unfamiliar with that, rotoscoping is when animation is done over acting, live acting. And it can look really, really cool. Say in the case of A Scanner Darkly with Keanu Reeves. Other times it can look really, really bad. Say in the case of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings, and The Two Towers by Ralph Bakshi. Well, and especially in 1978, people might mistake it with motion capture today where you mm. like, they're wearing a suit with little ping pong balls over it yeah. and it's catching it and then it's going over there. It's actually not like that. It's really like you film the movie mm-hmm. and then you essentially paint over the cells mm-hmm. individually. It's painstaking. It takes a long time and a lot of money. Yeah. And so because of that, you're basically filming a whole movie and then making a cartoon. Mm-hmm. It can make things look very natural looking. In addition to it costs a lot of money, they drop the rotoscope at times and sometimes it's done well and sometimes it's done poorly and so because of that the movie has a very weird look to it the phrase that comes to mind is uncanny valley yeah and so sometimes the way that they're moving is creepy um, which can work if you're looking at the Nazgul and they're supposed to be creepy mm-hmm. or the, the orcs and they're supposed to be creepy but sometimes I, I don't feel like Sam and Frodo should feel creepy to us no not for our protagonists and not for the humans either in the yeah. movies yeah and then sometimes it just sort of falls out of animation and so as you're watching it i could show you three different clips mm-hmm. and you would not believe they're from the same adaptation yeah. of it right some yeah. of them look straight up like animation some of them you can tell it's rotoscoping and some of them it looks barely like it mm-hmm. the other thing which was a choice obviously but i think was a, a missed opportunity for the bakshi film with this rotoscoping is then what do you do with the sets and so they have a habit of having these sets which are like very minimalistic like swirling clouds behind them or things mm-hmm. even when they're supposed to be somewhere and and that's an interesting choice and I, except in this case I've often thought like why make 
the film like that. One of the reasons to do a cartoon version of a fantasy film is because these sets are just too expensive to make, right? That's a good point. I like to think of it as rotoscoping walked so AR could run. Yeah, there we go, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, but I like about this, you know, I've been bad-mouthing the way the rotoscoping is done here. What's interesting then about Lord of the Rings we were talking about, I think, before we start recording is it has done more than any other property to advance film technology. Yeah. Yeah, Bakshi did not invent rotoscoping, but his work in it and having a movie, which actually did pretty well in the theaters, really made it possible for other films later on to use this kind of technology. And as mm -hmm. you point out, we lead to AR, leads mm -hmm. to this motion capture, which then when we get to Peter Jackson doing his version of Lord of the Rings, you get significant motion capture. Jackson also then adds a new technology. So I think it's called Massive is the name of the software. He needed to come up with a way to have these huge battles in mm -hmm. which thousands of soldiers are acting independently, or look differently, and it doesn't look like a video game army where every warrior looks yeah, the same. no cut and paste. Yeah, and they had to create new software. I think Massive is the name of the software that they came up with. And the, the result of that is that nowadays, you don't notice it now because it's so common, but post Lord of the Rings, it's very easy to do on the cheap a massive battle, mm -hmm. whereas you're looking at Cecil B. DeMille before this, where you literally yeah. have to get thousands of people out there on a field, or you have to have something that looks cheap, or you have to do camera tricks where you spend a lot of time focusing on mm -hmm. a few people, and hopefully the audience won't notice you only have 20 people actually in the shot, and they're the same 20 people moving around all the time. I think with the Jackson movies, too, it, it was a combination of the new technology and also really old technology, as in practical effects, too. He yeah. used trickery and sleight of hand and also forced perspective to make the movies look really, really good, too. Getting back to the Backstreet movies, where he had this really expensive technology, the rotoscoping, with you see in, I believe it was American Tale. If you saw mm -hmm. American Tale, mm -hmm. you saw a little bit of rotoscoping with like the human beings in the background. Ironically, it comes off really, really cheap looking yeah. for something so expensive that took a lot of time to make, which I'll get into when we talk about in my recommendations. It just, it does not work. Yeah. And it's a shame too, because it was a new technology that could have really taken off and we don't see this taking off after this. Yeah, I might be a little jaded because I actually don't like Ralph Bakshi's style of drawing anyway. I don't, Oh, I don't I, like I don't that. Either. I don't like that '70s style yeah. that you see in like Bracton Mad Magazine and that style that you had in the '70s. I, I just don't find it aesthetically pleasing. But because it's done so unevenly, I don't even feel like it's done well, or it's done really well in some places, and then other places in the film, it's done so badly, it just doesn't count. Right. I mean, it's not just here. You know, you talk about this mixture of practical and special effects. Of course, one of your favorite movies, which is not medieval, Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> right. Yeah. Great example of the technology is basically in visible because mm -hmm. the practical effects dominate and then you use the tech so that things don't have that kind of weightless look that you sometimes get in like mm -hmm. sometimes Marvel movies or things where nothing seems to have any true physics to exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, you and I can have separate podcasts about how much we don't like Marvel movies. <laughs> but I mean, we, I think people would hate us too much. Or, well, you could spend all your time talking about Mad Max for you. Yeah. We'll, we'll come up with some reason. If someone out there oh, man, would, I, yeah. could find a medieval allegory to Mad Max Fury Road, make it super popular so that Nina can spend a three hour long podcast talking about talk how she about loves it, it. yes yeah. um before we move on to the next subject please talk about the dvd set that we found <laughs> so of all the shocking things we discovered in our research about this horrifying shocking yes we scandalizing <laughs> So we were trying to see if we could watch the the Rankin Bass Return of the King and we realized it was only on 
YouTube chopped up into a bunch of pieces subtitled in Turkish, which is how we watched it. But also subtitled yeah. in English, too. Yeah. So we watched the Turkish That's, subtitles over the English subtitles. Right. The, the way Christopher Nolan intended. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, a film nerd joke. Uh, <laughs> Christopher Nolan was not involved in this film. But what we found is, there's a, is that it's only sold in DVD and it's packaged in a DVD trilogy with the first two films being the Bakshi film, which are... <laughs> much more adult and weird looking and very 1970s. And then the third one is the Rankin Bass Return of the King, which is shocking that you yeah. would do this. It, yeah. It's, why? And how? How can we get this DVD set? Too? I think all you have to do is you ask your grandmother. For, <laughs> you ask your grandmother to get you the Peter Jackson extended version. It's like how you get your Transmorphers movies uh, or kind of a, asylum. They're uh, asylum movie. movies. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. they are. Speaking of Rankin and Bass. Yes. All right, so this movie isn't so much bad as it is not great. So the Rankin-Bass Return of the King. Rankin-Bass, we mentioned on this podcast before. Rankin-Bass is another animation style from the 70s and early 80s. Very cheap. Gosh, maybe, um, even, maybe even 60s, I think. I think yeah, it does go back yeah. to the 60s. It spanned it over a decade I know they don't really make films. I always movies. remember being around when I was Christmas a little kid, movie, and yeah. I was and I was around in the early seventies. Yeah, so, so if you remember like Christmas Carol, or if I just say Chris, like animated Christmas movies, you'll probably come to mind. Like really yeah. cheap and short. Like Frosty the Snowman was a Rankin Bass movie. Yeah. So they only made Return of the King. And I believe this they only had the rights to make Return of the King, right? Yes, I think that's right. Because it needed to be packaged with the <laughs> it, 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 film and DVD 20 years later. Just to curse the viewer. So like you said, we just, today, we just finished watching this. And I remembered, like, part of the way through this movie, I said, I remember watching this when I was really little. This is very confusing, this movie. It starts off with a frame story. And I was like, wait, what is going on? <laughs> We had to stop. We had to pause it, it and, ex- it and explain it to Nina. And then Engineer Mike and I were arguing about yeah, what the context they, yeah. of it was. We, and then I got even more right. confused. Yes. And the only reason that I knew and Engineer Mike didn't is because I remembered it a little bit better, <laughs> what it was doing. Because his explanation made absolute perfect sense with the information that we had so far. Yes. Because it starts off like they're explaining to they being... Okay. <laughs> Damn it, I'm Sorry. explaining again. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so it starts off with Frodo and Mary and Pippin and Elrond and Gandalf. They're all sitting around a table with Bilbo. Bilbo is 129 years old this mm-hmm. time. They're explaining to him he's old and senile, and they're saying, Oh, don't you remember? We've long since returned from our adventures, and this is what happened. And then they start having a flashback to the events of Return of the King. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. And it does not seem like that is what they're going for. I thought they were starting with the events of Fellowship of the Ring. And it looks like it. I think it's meant to allude to that because if you then see what they show, by having it happen afterward, Mm -hmm. then technically it occurs during the events of Return of the King. And then the only time we get a flashback to an event where they show on screen that did not happen in the Return of the King or did not plausibly happen during the time of the Return of the King, is from The Hobbit, which there's a Rankin-Bass adaptation of The Hobbit also. Exactly. So, Which is complete. For, Starts at the, begins at the beginning and ends at the end. 
For budget and rights reasons, they had to insert several scenes from The Hobbit. And also, they didn't include a lot of, like, major battles and major scenes from the actual <laughs> Return of the King, right. right? So, like, they would say, oh, yeah, and then this happened. And, like, we don't see this happening, right? It is a strange <laughs> adaptation because, okay, so they, they have this frame, which makes sense. Sorry, explaining this is a lot of us going, okay, here we go. <laughs> so... Once they get the frame, I understand the need for the frame. Yeah. The frame makes sense, right? Because otherwise it doesn't make any sense at all. And even those of us who knew the story and knew that it was only going to be Return of the King were still confused. So we needed the frame to give us some grounding in the mm-hmm. story. But then of all the things to do, they spend an unbelievable amount of time on Sam being tempted by the ring, mm-hmm. which is probably one or two pages of the story. It is mostly internal. It's not the most cinematic event that occurred in this story. An unbelievable amount of time. And it led us, we spent a lot of time speculating because of the sheer amount of exposition. You know, you see a character who doesn't Mm -hmm. talk, speculating that maybe they ran out of money and they, some parts have been drawn and other parts hadn't been. Yeah. And they just included any part that they drew and then expositioned away the parts that they hadn't drawn, maybe? Like, at one point when they're expositioning, they mentioned Shelob. And I'm like, that could have been really cool, but no, she's just a spider for, like, a second, and then they move on. Yes, and she was a spider in the Two Towers, so Shelob, who shall not be shown in this Yeah, we did not have the rights to animate her, but we're still going to show her for a second and then move on. Actually, I don't even think they showed Shelob. I think they showed... A spider? I think they showed a clip of one of the spiders from Mirkwood in The Hobbit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that how they tried to get away with... Because technically that wasn't Shelob. Technically that was one of... This is the nerdy... One of Shelob's children. (sighs) Dear readers and listeners, (laughs) you will hear many weird cuts in this. It's because Engineer Mike and I stopped to argue about some minor point of you know, Tolkien's trivia that appeared in the Indices or in the Silmarillion or in some footnote in Baron and Luthien. You might hear tapping in the background. That's Engineer Mike looking up trivia. (laughs) We're moving on to one annoyance I have about this movie and one annoyance I have about uh, Lord of the Rings in general is that it's a lot of places and names, which is very hard for me to keep track of. And at one point, they finally show a map. Yes. Which is what I needed, okay? <laughs> like, where is everyone in relation to everyone else? Okay, Lord of the Rings is very hard for that reason. Being a, in middle school and seeing this book for the first time mm-hmm. and having a map and like, wow, this scope is so big, I need a map to understand this. Mm-hmm. That was kind of part of the coolness of it, like knowing every move of a Pokemon or something. You know, that it, it's kind of a nerd... <laughs> have a nerd superpower to know all this stuff right Frodo, but yes but you. the problem but again the, the Frodo chooses ring yes the weird pro- <laughs> it's super effective it is however now you have to put him in the discard pile <laughs> i play Gollum on you and discard ring in any case they have all these names and some of them they should have told us made very clear yeah. laid out the geography what's happening early on in a way that we could have understood but then they also include a bunch of names and places that are Why is this even relevant? Mm -hmm. For example, they tell us the name of the door Mm -hmm. that they use to enter the Cracks of Doom. And both Engineer Mike and I, who have stopped to interrupt this to talk (laughs) about the genealogy of the Spiders of Mirkwood, both of us were like, wow, we did not remember this detail. 
And also, it is entirely unnecessary to know the name of the door that they enter through. No one would have thought, like, I wonder what the name of this door was. They would have just been like, all right, they went to Mount Doom. They went in through here. Action occurring. Someone would have wanted to know the name of that door, though. <laughs> yes, but the same people who would have wanted to know that would have also wanted to know what was going on with the action of the rest of the thing. And yeah. I'm having to piece it together from knowledge of the book rather than from what they showed us on the page. I'll tell you, the <clears> or same, on the screen, rather. The same person who wanted to know the name of that door was the same person who got upset for the first time of the mispronunciation of, what was it? Kirith Ungle. They could call him yeah. Sirith Ungle. Yes, exactly. So I, I'm saying it does count. Someone is very upset and someone did want to know the name of that door. Well, pop medieval listeners need to know that the greatest (laughs) outrage is not that. The greatest outrage is Theoden has an old English name and they mispronounce it. And how dare you? That's not even a fantasy language. It's a real language. So stop it. You can get that right. Do you want to talk about that weird fourth wall breaking at the end? Yeah. What, so, so What even was that? Like, I didn't catch it okay. the first time. And One of the real strengths of this is... The voice acting, particularly mm. John Houston, who does Gandalf. And it's very hard after listening to this for me not to talk like John Houston <laughs> doing Gandalf and speak everything with the gravitas that it <laughs> deserves, right? Or even beyond. So, as did men of yore. And in the end, there's this moment where Gandalf sort of implies that what's going to happen after all the elves and dwarves leave Middle-earth is that the hobbits will grow taller and will become humans. And then Gandalf turns, looks right at the audience and says, and some people in the future may wonder if they have a little hobbit in them. As if he's Uncle Sam trying to draft you into the hobbit army in World War II. I, I felt very uncomfortable. Like, I'm like, if there's a little hobbit in me, I did not consent to that get it out of me as someone who comes from a long line of short hairy footed people i approve of the message okay i got an embarrassing story about this movie do you want to hear if it's embarrassing i want to hear it twice over so i first saw this movie when i was about four okay and i i remembered seeing this movie right at this scene that i'm about to describe when the Lord of the Nazgul mm-hmm. confronts Eowyn mm-hmm. when she takes off her helmet and her blonde hair goes flying and, and all that. And I remembered this scene in particular because she slays his fell beast. Fell beast. Okay. Fell beast. Yeah. I didn't know what that was when I was four years old. Remember, you I didn't I, know a fell beast when I, you were four. I did not. In fact, what I kind of household did you grow up in? <laughs> not a Lord of the Rings house. <laughs> Which is not true. My uncles were huge Lord of the Rings nerds, and I, I just was not. Anyway, when she slayed that fell beast, I was very sad and perturbed at her because I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a dinosaur. <laughs> and so I hated her. She killed the last she of the dinosaurs. She killed the last of the dinosaurs. <laughs> it was like a dinosaur or a dragon to me. And if you remember from, it was episode 23 that we did, Larvae Dragons. Mm-hmm. So Rankin Bass also animated that's uh, right. Flight that's, of the Dragons. Yes, that's theirs. It has that same style. Yeah. And I recognized the same animation style. I was four years old, but I still recognized the mm-hmm. animation style. So I thought she killed another dragon <laughs> or a dinosaur. I was too young to realize, oh, this is something else different. But I put two and two together and I just hated her. I think we side with the bad dragon in Flight of the Dragons. I think so. The humans deserved it after I what they did. So. 
All right, so let's talk about sure. recommendations. What's your recommendation for okay. today, Nina? So we've been talking about Ralph Bakshi. Mm-hmm. And I want to recommend Dan Olson, who does Folding Ideas on YouTube, a mm-hmm. fantastic YouTube series of video essays. His exhaustive history of Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. It's not just talking about Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. It's also talking about Ralph Bakshi in general. Ralph Bakshi is a director. He's an animator. He's a, a personality. Um, he is a personality. Definitely. Yes. He's done things over the last 50 or 60 years that questionable problematic interesting fun mm-hmm. variety of adjectives i can use american pop might come to mind pop medieval listeners might be familiar with wizards wizards uh, yes which we've discussed but have never done during a movember that's true yeah we, we could we could we consider could that, that yeah. yeah let's think about that another one that people might recognize is fritz the cat fritz the cat oh, yeah. was a, a very famous the first or maybe not the first but definitely the most infamous x-rated animated film all these movies are rotoscope by the way well not fritz the cat fritz the cat was half rotoscoped half animated another movie from the 90s called cool world wait was cool world bakshi Cool World was Bakshi. Ah, okay. Yeah, again, he's a very storied individual. (laughs) So if you come for the history on The Lord of the Rings and how he managed to get the rights to animate the first two movies, stay for just his exhaustive history. It's fascinating. And what's the name of the the host of the... Dan Olson. Dan Olson, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Yes, absolutely. What is your recommendation, Doc? So going back into the mists of time, there was a small, scrappy little startup publishing company, Witten publishing and that was us that's us that's us indeed we wanted to show how ebooks worked and we realized that there were going to be it seems crazy to say nowadays but at that time a lot of medieval scholars they had no idea what ebooks were they often didn't know they didn't understand them they thought they were pdfs they they understood none of this and they were often like nasty yeah they were hostile about it (laughs) right they thought that we were i don't know what they thought we were going to do it seems crazy now now that we're all legitimate and the oldest name in ebook publishing for medieval works but we realized we needed to publish something so they could look at and so we published a sample book and the sample book is very short it's basically article length that's probably i don't know 30 pages it's not long at all Mm -hmm. okay the the point of it was to have something that people could look at so they could see what we were doing Mm -hmm. and it actually has to do with tolkien it's something that i wrote about tolkien it's the only thing that we've published under the Witan publishing name that I have been the writer of. I edit most of the works that we do, but I'm not the primary author. And that is Old English and Samwise Gamgee's Genealogy, Eden and the Unfallen Hobbit. It has to do with Samwise Gamgee and what his name means and what this implies about him and all the kind of nerdy stuff that only a guy like Tolkien would have done on purpose. Mm-hmm. We tried to make it free because we wanted people to be able to see it. It is 99 cents on Kindle because Amazon won't let us price it any cheaper than that. And so you can get it for 99 cents on Kindle or you can get it for free on any other platform. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, one right. point. Yeah, so if you're thinking like, oh, I want to put some more money in his pocket, listen, the cut that I get off of the 99 cents, I would rather you have it for free. And if you're just like, for convenience, you want to pay 99 cents, mm. fine. But it's called Old English and Samwise Gamgee's Genealogy, Eden and the Unfallen Hobbit. It's not a long read. And I think if you're the kind of person who listens to Pop Medieval, you'll enjoy it. The intro you wrote for that, where you talked about <laughs> yes. ebooks, that was like the best thing you wrote. Thank you. And, yeah. and I went back and reread that a couple years ago. I forget why. And I thought, 
it seems prescient now. Like I was sort of predicting things for the future. And I remember when I was writing it, I thought I should be more modest in my predictions because who knows what the future will hold. But no, it turned out exactly <laughs> yeah, like I predicted. Yeah, you were spot on. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, stock tips for me later on in the show. <laughs> Oh, God. Let's not do insider trading on this, please. All right. Well, there's one thing that we haven't talked about. I was going to save this for the good of the cause, but yeah, let's let's talk about it. Okay. What do you have for the good of the cause, Nina? The soundtrack for The Return of the King is baller. Yes. The okay. Rankin-Bass soundtrack is so... Mm -hmm. So I'm humming uh, Where There's a Whip, There's a Way, which is just, it slaps, as the yes. kids say. The Lord of the Last says, nay, nay, nay. <laughs> I just have to say yeah. that if anyone from Warner Media wants us to take this down because of copyright infringement, because we're singing this song, uh, there's a special place in Tolkien hell for you. Terrible <laughs> people. Yes. If you can't watch anything else, just get on YouTube and watch the songs from yeah. the Rankin Bass Return of the King. Mm -hmm. It is really great. It is really it, great. It really is. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for today. For today, that is. Yeah. West through all, Nina. through all, Pop Medieval was recorded in our Nerd Haven studio. Your hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. Our music is courtesy of Dr. John Jacob. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash or visit our Discord channel using the invite link in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening. Are, you, are we ready then, you think? I, I think we're ready, yeah. Okay, actually, we have very little technology to do to so make sure that I'm <laughs> yeah. actually recording, I know, this is gonna be, which I am. This is gonna be okay, a dream yeah. We're 15 minutes, we're 14 yeah. minutes in. Yeah. Okay, so, all right, let's go. All right. <laughs> Oh no, this is going to be another. We can't record in the same room. We can't record in the same space. It's just duet set up here, you got here. Yeah, yeah. The minute he leaned in, we both started laughing. You ready? ready. You can play the Jermaine Jackson part. You can be Pew's Adora. Oh my god. Four people will have that on this <laughs> if, if that happens to make it in. All right. All right. Are you ready? <laughs> no.